Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Conversation of Our Generation. My name is Nick Jamel, and I am the creator of The Conversation of Our Generation blog and the host of the podcast here, The Conversation of Our Generation podcast. And I'd like to thank you guys all for being here today with me. Um, and I just want to let you know before we get started here, you can find me on Facebook.com slash Conversation of Our Generation, Twitter at Con of Our Gen. Of course, the blog is ConversationofOurGeneration.com. You can find me there. And I am on Minds and Steam it. If you search for me, you'll find me. Um, but I am not very active on those platforms. I do have a YouTube channel as well with some old videos you can check out anytime. Uh, that's kind of really where it started, actually, uh, which is funny. Maybe we'll go into that one day um, on how I built this um, and how I kind of got to this point. Maybe we'll do that for like a the, for the one year an, uh, annual episode to celebrate a year and kind of talk about where it's come from. Um, but today I wanted to talk to you about some cool stuff. I want to talk about the philosopher, the artist, and the sage and who those, what that person looks like and what their role is and why each one of them is important and where, how they differ, how, how are they different really um, in their analysis of the world. And I think that that's an important thing to describe because I think it's an important thing that we need to understand in our society today uh, and why it is that we need each of them in a different way. And so with that, I'm going to, before I get started, I wanted to talk to you about one more thing and that is We Do Better, um, which is a great, great organization. It's something that I'm involved with here. Obviously, I've been talking about it on the podcast, but it is an organization that helps people who have serious human needs find the best charities by allowing the charities to be bigger and better because they get the funding that they need. And it is the effort in a locality or a state to pass a version of the Arizona Charitable Tax Credit in order to allow people to divert their funds to the charity that they see best suiting their community's needs at the time or whatever, for whatever reason, you know, if as long as it's a charity that is serving their community, they're able to give to that charity and get a dollar for dollar tax credit on the back end. And what this does is it eliminates the or use of government waste and it allows for these charities to do better because they are almost always more efficient because they're driven by market demands. And when they're not, then there's better charities that come along and do the job better because they aren't driven by increasing their budget year after year. They're driven by helping the people in their community the best because that's the way that they receive the funding to continue to do that. They're mission-oriented people and they do a great job. If this sounds like something you want to get involved in, just uh, go to wedobetter.org and go into the contact portion there and talk to Dan if you want to get involved in Indianapolis let me know. You can email me, nicholasjamel at gmail.com. Or if you want to get involved and you don't want to go through the contact portion, you can get and talk to me and I can send you to Dan as well. And if you are excited about it, definitely get involved because it's an awesome process and it's an awesome thing that is going on. And it's showing that we the people do better. We are, we are the country. We are the nation of the United States of America. It's the people. And so it's the people who do the best things. It's the people who built this country to be what it is. 
why why are we trusting them to help people service people with human needs and with that let's get into the main topic for today or sorry the quote of the week which is actually quotes today we have two um, because like I said I'm talking about the philosopher the artist and the sage I wanted to give you a little bit of a a couple quotes on philosophy and art and the first one comes from Ludwig von Beethoven and it is music is a higher revelation than all wisdom and philosophy and I think that he's actually wrong here um, and I'll talk to you why but I do think that it is a type of revelation that wisdom and philosophy can't attain and this and this I'll talk about a little bit more later as well but the idea is that art and music especially I think music more so than any drama because there's no especially in his time there weren't you know necessarily words to it and when there were it wasn't necessarily for the effect of hearing the words as it was for um, really trying to make the vocals blend in and you know give it that give it a certain sound generally um, but the idea is that I think it unveils a sort of emotion and a sort of state of being that in a way that philosophy can never do because philosophy is descriptive but music especially in Beethoven's time was not really analytical he had kind of moved away from the you know the idea with Mozart and Bach and all these other musicians that came before him where we were supposed to you were supposed to be technical and try to create the perfect harmony but you know and they were still very impassioned people obviously but they didn't have the same idea where you just kind of let your passion flow and it'll create the music for you which is kind of how Beethoven looked at it and he was really the beginning of that romantic style um, in music and it was, he was kind of in the partially ma a man of his time because he was at the time when all of romantic art was coming to be and it's interesting to hear him say that because I think that he is the perfect version of what the next quote is where he wasn't necessarily a man of many talents other than music from what I understand of him I could be wrong if someone you know but from what I've read or from what I've you know just watching documentaries on TV reading you know and taking my you know classes in the past on music he uh, he was much he was a very impassioned composer and he was a genius composer but that wasn't that really didn't translate into the other areas of his life as much and so he really was a man who as the Greeks would say was able to call on his muse very well like he he wasn't he was able to the, the, the Greeks believed that the the arts didn't and the inspiration came from somewhere else it was you know the muse it was the muse singing that gave you the the notes that you needed to create your music or you know that you were it was the muse that you were seeing when you were painting or sculpting <clears throat> and that's something that I think you can really apply to Beethoven because I really think he is uh, a man who 
definitely utilized the muse in his art because I don't think he necessarily was the most analytic uh, composer, especially, I mean, I really, he's the genius composer, but he wasn't as analytic. Uh, The next one, though, is pretty interesting, is from Plato. And he says, the man who arrives at the doors of artistic creation with none of the madness of the muses would be convinced that technical ability alone was enough to make an artist. What that man creates by means of reason will pale before the art of inspired beings. And this to me shows that, and and I think both these quotes show the difference between music and philosophy (laughs) because you know, Beethoven says it's greater revelation. I don't know about that, but I do think it's definitely different. What Plato's saying is, you know, you can be technically capable, but it's not the technical capability that moves you to create beautiful art. It's the the muse that kind of you long for and you, in, you know, working at your art, you attempt to bring that muse out in your art. And that's a different way of looking at it. And he, what's interesting is he says, what that man creates by means of reason will pale before the art of inspired beings. So he's saying, if you're trying to rationally look at art, you're going to, you're going to lose because it will pale in comparison to, you know, the people who are truly inspired. And I think you see this in today's music industry where you have Drake, who's manufactured music, and a lot of others as well. Well, it's very analytic, and it's something that's going to be catchy to you because they've done the math on it that it's going to be catchy, right? But it's something that is not as good as the things of the the, the music of people who are truly inspired, and so that to me really is I mean it's it's a idea that's over 2000 years old obviously that the people who and and then the people who are artistic or who are technically good musicians are people who are great in concerts you know they they could replay other people's stuff just fine but they don't have that that muse dragging them along to create that art that they can then bring down to us and play for us and create for us and I don't have any here that tell you basically what the philosopher is, but we will go into that. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. I'll talk a little bit about what Jordan Peterson talks about as the philosopher as well. But I think that it's really good to see the philosopher talking about the musician. He's explaining what the musician does. And then you have the musician basically artistically saying what he does. He's, you know, this quote, uh, and I'm not sure, I didn't research the uh, Beethoven quote. I know that this uh, quote by Plato is at least somewhat accurate because I know that I was looking specifically for something on this, but, and I haven't read where this is from, but it's very, I know he talks about this idea. And Beethoven, I'm not sure if he said this, but it sounds like something he would say um, from everything I've heard of him as well. But regardless, I think it's interesting to hear what the musician says about art and what the philosopher says about art. And they're both kind of similar that they say, 
it's not about the philosophy and the wisdom. It's about this music. It's about this art. It's about this <clears throat> different form of revelation. And Beethoven says it's a higher form, whereas Plato kind of just says that it's different. Uh, he basically says that, you know, if you're looking at technical ability, which really would be the analysis of, you know, where your fingers are on the frets or whatever it is, you know, your actual physical ability to move your fingers in the way that you need to play the instrument. To me, that's not what the artist does as much. He doesn't worry about that. He worries about the artistry around the entire sound that he's creating. And so with that, let's get into what these ideas are. And so I'm going to talk to you about the philosopher. I'm going to talk to you about the artist. And then we'll kind of wrap up the show talking about what the sage is. And so the philosopher is something that we're all familiar with. The philosopher is the one who analyzes the world around him and is able to look at systems and uh, you know the world around him and describe what it is that the nature of things is, the order of things. Uh, he's able to talk about that and analyze that and describe that in a way that other people are not able to do. And so what he does is is he's the he's kind of the descript the one the one who creates the description of the world. And if you read especially Greek thought, this is I think very, very true. He you look at like Aristotle, you know, Socrates and Plato, what they're trying to do is describe sometimes it's really complex things too. It's not like, you know, just looking at, you know, random little things. It's, you know, trying to understand the best way to organize people under a government. That's a big task, right? That's a that's a lot to take in. And, you know, how do you describe the virtues and vices of people? What, what do those look like? What do those behaviors look like? And they were really trying to categorize the world so that you could understand it because they come from this point of view that the world is created with by the logos by the logic of the universe which is what gives order to the universe that they can then uncover bit by bit and so what he does is he takes the experience of the individual the you know the sense by looking through his senses and everything like that and using his logic and reason the philosopher then abstracts from an individual experience universal truths that govern the universe. And so he goes from the microcosm to the macrocosm. And what that does is, is that makes the world seem manageable. Because if he can understand the world in this way, then, and he can translate that in a way that, or transmit that in a way that other people can understand, then then the world is becoming more and more comprehensible. So the job of the artist is to do that. <laughs> That's really what he does. If you look in all of our, all of what we do, I mean, if like 
just look at football announcers. They are kind of the philosopher of, if they're good ones, that is. There's bad philosophers too, but but they're the philosopher of football. Like, they take the game, which is going on, it's just all this stuff happening, and they are able to look at a play and abstract out the reason why that play worked because there's certain principles that guide the way the game is played. And they're able to do that. And what Dr. Peterson talks about is Jordan Peterson, that is, is um, that you have to embody things. You have to have something to look at and philosophize, basically. You can't just necessarily have... Basically, all philosophy is of something that is observable in some way, and which means that it has to have happened in some way. Now, there's things that are pretty abstract that you are somewhat of a thought exercise, but they still are a form of philosophy, obviously talking about the proofs of God and things along those lines are very tough to prove, but you can walk through a logical analysis of them. And, you know, the fact that we're here, you know, means that basically what you're talking about at that point is how did, how are we created? Obviously we're here, so we were created. And, and, I mean, obviously, there's been philosophers who have gone through whether or not we're here, <laughs> you know. Um, so, there's there's a lot that you can look at and attempt to understand, basically. And what the philosopher does, though, is he creates the category. He describes the order of the universe. And when he passes that along, then it's shortcuts for people to understand how they should behave, how should how they should interact with the universe in different ways, whether it's by interacting with other people socially, whether it's, you know, a lot of these early philosophers were people who invented, like, different things uh, that we use every day. <laughs> um, obviously, Pythagoras was someone who invented, supposedly invented a lot of mathematical tricks that we use, but he uncovered the way that things spiral, basically, like, oh, if you can picture, like, a the shell of a snail, he found that pattern in a lot of things, he, um, you have, I think it's, uh, Archimedes, who had the screw, basically, he kind of invented the pattern of, you know, making something that created a screw, there's a lot of different things that, if you go through the Greeks and the philosophers, at least, they kind of, and a lot of our inventors, like if you look at Einstein and, and Edison and some of these 20th century inventors that we have in America, a lot of them had a big love of philosophy. Uh, why can't I think? Isaac Newton loved philosophy. A lot of these guys were, you know, Rene Descartes. He was a philosopher and a mathematician, you know, so... There's a lot of crossover between that because it's the same side of your brain. You're analyzing the world and trying to describe it. And you can describe it mathematically a lot of times too. And that leads to kind of the scientific thought. The artist, however, is one who thinks abstractly, not analytically. He search, he looks for the truth in stories, harmonies, color and form. And what the artist does that's different from the philosopher is the artist, instead of taking 
the universal and make, or sorry, taking the individual experience and making it, you know, applying it to the universe and seeing what the order is and abstracting out that understanding of the universe through himself and his reflection on it, the world around him. The artist actually takes the universal truths and almost distills them down into an individual experience. So he's able to, the you know, Beethoven's able to convey the raw emotion of anger, which is a universal, you know, it's what, what, what the Greeks would consider to be like the gods, because, you know, those things that move you to act, that's what they consider the gods, and those things are always fighting in you, you know, the will to be, you know, jealousy and and anger and all these things and you know love and passion all that those are things that are in us and we know that and that's a something that we we can not quite prove necessarily but obviously if you look at it there is anger within us there's all these emotions and he's and the musicians able to make you know, that sound that is anger almost like it's that feeling of anger and the, the storyteller is able to create in you the same, this level of empathy that you show towards his character that at the end of a sad movie, you cry or a sad play, you cry at, you know, you rejoice for, you know, a happy ending and you laugh at the joke and all these different emotions that are so universal to people you're able to find that in the in the artists and in their work and so basically you understand more about yourself by looking at the universal and looking at these universal truths distilled into a story you can see yourself in that story somewhat you know, I'm reading, you know, I, I, when I was reading uh, Confessions by St. Augustine, I was like, this guy has a lot in common with me. You know, he's talking about his own story, but, you know, there's a very similar uh, path that he took to get to his conversion that I feel like, you know, for me has been kind of getting back to Christ. Like a lot of the same things that held me up with my faith are the same things that held him up. And that to me is a great way to understand why, because I was so able to empathize with his feelings the whole time. And then when he started talking about why he was wrong, I was like, oh, that makes sense. You know, I can get that because I, I'm, I'm kind of on the same wavelength or whatever, you know, I'm on that, I, you know, we have that same understanding at that point, I'm talking to someone who is like me, basically, is how I looked at it. And so that to me is an incredible thing as well. The artist, though, is someone who oftentimes doesn't fully understand or isn't always able to articulate uh, what it is that their art reveals <clears throat> because it's up to the person viewing the art to understand the art and to give it its meaning. Whereas the philosopher can teach you what they're thinking, right? The artist really can't 
describe in words very often what it is that their art means because their art is a reflection of their individual experience against the universal truths and each individual is going to look at that art and or hear that art whatever it is you know read the art and they are going to have a different experience even though they're looking at the same you know universal truth they're going to have a different experience that's why when you know you listen to a song you may get different meanings than people around you is because the individual experience that you have leading up to that is going to make you look at that universal truth in a different way and so what I think is that the artist is incredibly important because it gives you that different sense of truth it's, it's, it's the philosopher is kind of a cold sense of truth which and not in a bad way but it's just you have to be detached from the thing that you're looking at and trying to understand because that's the only way you can do that. That's the only way you can actually understand it. Whereas the uh, the artist has to be so close to his art and so close to the thing that he's trying to understand that he can't detach from it. Like it's impossible for him to do so, which gives it this level of passion and empathy that is really what if you know they're truly an artist. You know that's where you that's that muse almost those that universal truth that thing that they're trying to put down into their art you know whatever that inspiration is that is something that they have to vigorously you know move after and and passionately try to convey in their art otherwise it won't happen Otherwise, you you go to the you know it's 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 obvious like you you could tell in the movies and in music which one was written by the band and which songs are you know written by a bunch of marketers who have you know the analytics on what lyrics are you know what words are popular right now yada yada yada, yada to make this popular song you can tell because you can you can hear it in the voice of the artist. <laughs> You can hear it in, you know, in, in whatever it is. I mean, like, look at Steve Perry of Journey. Like, when he sang, he meant it. You know, when Journey played, you know, those songs had soul to him. Whereas when you listen to, you know, I'm going to pick on Drake again. When you listen to Drake today, you don't hear anything that impassions you. No. I mean, if people do, then I think you're kind of really susceptible to crappy marketing <laughs> but i'm not trying to offend my audience but you know if you if you're really moved by drake's music then uh i don't know what to tell you about your taste sorry <laughs> um but you know if you want to listen to it at a party that's a different story but that's just the way i look at it and so that but that yearning for describing the the universal truth into that individual experience is what makes it useful and it's something that you have to I think the artist has to learn how to do somewhat but they're both I think both the philosopher and artist are equally wise that's why I kind of said Beethoven was wrong is that music is in a greater revelation it's a different one 
And they're both necessary in order to have a society because the philosopher tells you how to advance and to understand things and really speaks more to some people because the philosopher is one is a certain type of person he's analytical he you know he describes the world and makes order that the you know out of his experience whereas the artist is the one who and and i think the philosopher is kind of more the right wing of politics or you know you know the they're more the you know the the numbers guys right and the artist is kind of the more the liberal side because they're the ones who take these you know they confront the universal truths with their passions and their vigor to understand and to speak to their muse basically and what that does is is then that creates you know this level of empathy and caring but it's it's a lot more of a loose um revelation it's more subjective and and so you kind of get that on the liberal side of things the left side of things you know generally now it's not necessarily true but the way that the to me those patterns of how you think fall on those sides of the political aisle um and then finally you have the sage now the sage is the highest form of wisdom the sage is the one who can do he is a philosopher and an artist he you know i put on the show notes here his writings sound like shakespeare but convey the truth of genesis you know his the sage has an understanding of self that is so clear that he can uncover the universal by looking within and he understands the universal so well that he can understand himself by looking without. And so he goes both ways on how he understands the world and how he deepens his understanding of himself. And so this to me is the highest form of wisdom because what it is, is you can be analytical, but you don't lose your artistry in doing so. You don't lose the beauty of what it is that you have to say by analyzing the world around you. You know, you don't think that the only way to understand the world is by looking outward and trying to understand things. You understand that you have to look inward and understand yourself the same way that the artist does. I mean, the artist has to go in and understand who they are in order to convey that. Look at like stand-up comedians. To me, that's a tough art to do because you really have to go in and understand yourself and make fun of it on stage. You know, the the artist has to do that on a daily basis. Whereas the philosopher generally, I mean, I think they'll be hard on themselves if you're, you know, if you're Aristotle talking about ethics. I think he's going to be hard on himself if he's not acting virtuously. But, and I think that some of those guys were a little bit more sage-like too. But the, the people today that, are just stone cold about the outside world and that just analyze it, don't really think about it in the way that it, or don't, and they think about it, but they don't really feel it. They don't really, um, they don't really, they're not really moved by their craft of philosophy in any way. I think that that's something that lacking that sage, uh, that sage-like character that makes it so 
much more profound. And the sage is the one that really stands outside of politics because he understands that the true nature of the universe is one that is not able to be understood by, you know, one way of thinking, the philosopher and the artist. It's it's the marriage of both of those because that's truly what the order of the universe looks like. That's truly what the universe is, is it's the marriage of beauty and you know, and science, right? The fact that our harmonies that are, you know, the, the harmonies that we have are mathematically describable shows that, you know, you can run the math on why Mozart's music sounds good harmonically, but you can't run the math on why it moves you to feel some sort of just passion or some sort of other emotion, you know, whether it's calm or, or anger or whatever it is, you kind of almost start to experience the sound, you know, whatever those sounds are. Well, why is that? Why, you know, obviously I can tell you why, you know, these, you know, these different notes on the keyboard go together because you can describe that, but you can't describe that artistry, you know, and the sage is the one who understands that truly. The sage is the one who can understand the world and himself better from either direction, from going from the universal down to the individual or from the individual and extrapolating that out into the universe and, you know, looking outward. And what's important about this is the sage, when you listen to them speak, you know, it, it doesn't sound the same as what the philosopher or the artist says. You know, it doesn't sound the same. It's it's actually speaking on a high level because it's a deeper level of truth that the sage understands. And if you look into, for instance, Old Testament Genesis, if you look into the Tao Te Ching, you know, the Upanishads, um, Confucius, the Analects, you know, you look into <laughs> Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul and his writings, and Jesus. Um, the New Testament, you know, if you look into their, what they say and their writings and everything about them, you know, I think the, uh, John, you know, who wrote the book of John is another one where that understanding of true artistry in their work and how they write, that's beautiful. I mean, the, the books are beautiful to read, each one of those. They're beautiful, but the wisdom in there is often so concise that you can almost gloss over it. I, I mean, it's it's almost so... You, you don't recognize the, profund, the, the profundity of the word or of the words that you're reading because they're so beautifully written. But if you, if you really pay attention, you, re, you recognize that there's more truth in a lot of these short things that we repeat all the time, like the passages in the Bible that we repeat all the time, then in a whole work of, you know, philosophy by many philosophers that, you know, the ones that you don't know their names, <laughs> then, you know, it, you could probably read, you know, 500 pages of some of their work sometimes and not reach the wisdom that you get 
from one of Jesus's parables or, you know, a few lines of the Tao Te Ching. And the reason is, is because there's a, I think they're inspired by the spirit. You know, they don't look outward for their muse. They, they recognize that they themselves are something that is worth being their own muse. They look into the they, they, they yearn for the understanding of that self, that soul, that that thing that is what they are. That's what drives them. And that, to me, is what makes their philosophy so true and their art so uh, invigorating, really. And why you can follow a sage to the end of the earth if they're truly a sage. And, you know, why you can... You know, like the disciples follow Jesus to the cross, some of them. And, you know, so many of them were martyred. And they, because he had that ability, because he truly, I mean, I think he's much more than just a sage, but the way he spoke and the way he taught, it was beyond the philosopher or the artist, right? That's, that's true. And... Regardless of what you believe in him, you have to look, you know, at his impact on the world and say, okay, that's something that's deeper than any impact that other philosophers had or artists. And there's artists and philosophers who had a big impact on the world, right? I mean, you know, Homer is still read in, you know, Aristotle. We still read his work. We still read about Confucius. You know, we still, there's still plenty there, but there's something that's deeper in just Jesus' impact alone. Obviously, I guess I did put Confucius in with the sages, so, but um, I couldn't think of an Eastern philosopher. <laughs> he was the first one who came to mind. <laughs> but, um, but these, I mean, in all of Eastern cultures, actually really built on the Tao Te Ching and Confucius, at least Chinese, um, up until the communist era. I mean, that's some of the things that they had to tear down was those values that you get out of those two books. And so the impact of the sage is something that goes beyond what we can truly comprehend in most cases, because what the sage does is they truly, truly, uh, get to the absolute heart of what truth is and they in doing so really unveil at least probably not the you know not the face of God but the you know like Moses you know sees God walking away you know he you know God he sees God's back you know they they truly I think have that understanding of the connection between body and spirit and spirit and whatever this spirit world is, you know, they, they kind of mesh that together. And that's why I think the sage is one that transcends political thinking. They don't, they're not left or right. They're apolitical because when it comes to the, the questions of the spirit, the questions of God, there's no politics there. There shouldn't be. You know, every time we apply politics to religion, and you know, it doesn't go well. Um, no matter what the religion is, because religion is not a political institution. 
It's something of the spirit and of the individual and of the universal and this connection between those that is nearly impossible to understand except for or except by looking through the eyes of the sage whether or not you can go out there into the wilderness and understand these things on your own or you read the sage to understand him that is the only way that you can understand this and so what I think that we should be striving for is understanding these three roles and if you're either in the philosopher or the artist role trying to strive for that understanding of the other side of things so that you can grow into what the sage is and I think that that then and, and I think that also you have to really dive into the understanding of the spirit and of the self that is there as well between those two things I think that you know we can elevate our philosophers and artists to where they are able to achieve more and have more of an impact on our society but furthermore I think that being a sage in and of your own life is something that we ought to strive for is understanding the order of the world understanding the passions and the you know and the vigor of life that moves you you know having that philosopher and that artist side but really looking at those things in reference to that actualization of your best self that understanding of you in relation to your spirit in relation to your consciousness in relation to god and between those three things you can begin to dive into the world of the sage and you can begin to change your life and transform your own life in a way that's so much more impactful than any job opportunity or whatever it's it's true it would be, it's truly a transformational process and the more people who take that process on the more people we will have really transforming our society one at a time and with that i'm going to wrap up the show i want to thank you guys for listening to uh the podcast today um if you liked it if you think that you got something out of this definitely share it with somebody i think this is a good one to share around and really show people kind of the direction that i'm going i'm, I'm going to be kind of moving away from the political side in my podcast. I, I'd still like people who want to write guest blogs. I didn't talk about this at the front of the show. But people who want to write blogs for me, um, guest blog on the Conversation of Our Generation, uh, definitely I'll take political blogs. I'll put any sort of thought out there that's really well-defined and really well thought through, even if I disagree with it wholeheartedly. I would love to. Uh, but I'm going to kind of move away in what I'm working on personally, away from that. And because I think that there's something, there's things that I have to say that are more important than my political beliefs. And, and I'll probably, you know, write on them as well, but from time to time, but it'll be different. Um, and so furthermore, if you want to do, if you do want to help me out and sponsor, uh, support the show, you can go to the Amazon affiliate page, look at the books there that I have reviewed. You can buy the books through those links. You can use my overall Amazon affiliate link on the page. You can 
download the Brave browser, that helps as well um, through my affiliate link there. Then you also get an ad blocking browser and I get a few basic attention tokens and everyone's happy. Um, and lastly, I just want to thank you guys for being here. Uh, definitely share the show, put it out there, tell people to listen, all those things. You know, we need to, I need you guys out there helping me to win people to the show and get people listening to the show. Um, I mean, I can only do so much and I think my family's tired of seeing me posting things on Facebook about my podcast and people are probably tired of me talking about it all the time. So, which I don't really all the time, but you know, if you are out there and you don't know the same people as me, that really helps because then you're reaching an audience that I don't have. And with that, thank you guys again for listening. I hope you had a good experience as well. Um, Thank you for joining me in the conversation of our generation this week, and let's get the dialogue going. Have a good week, guys.